Welcome to our podcast, We Got the Nod. A new and bold internet radio show designed for those who are on a conscious path of awakening. We are here to uplift and inspire you, to share practical tools and techniques to assist you stepping into your highest expression as spirit having a human experience. We will get raw and real, sharing kundalini yoga, music, poetry, and mantra, and so much more. Let us open our hearts and minds to our true potential, making the impossible possible, the surreal real. Let's begin. Greetings and welcome to... We got the nod, internet radio podcast, Haridam, introducing the first of a series of podcasts. We're imagining three in total on the subject of suicide. Yes, a topic that we feel needs to be discussed, needs to be more in the public forum. So we will speak about it from different angles, perspectives. We will try to bring some lightness to this potentially heavy topic and also invite your feedback as we progress through this series. So without further ado, here is part one of the Suicide Series. Hello and welcome to another edition of We Got the Nod with your host, Hari Ram. Welcome. Very much looking forward to this podcast because I'm going to speak today about a controversial topic, what we could call a taboo subject which is suicide. Yes. Often when I speak about suicide, because I feel it's very important, especially with the type of work that I've been doing over the last three decades as a therapist and counselor, I'd like to begin by asking this question. What is the most famous monologue in all of English theater, if you give it even a little thought, you will come to this conclusion, to this answer, which is the famous soliloquy of Hamlet. Yes, Shakespeare's Hamlet, to be or not to be. Act three, scene one. In the most famous tragedy, William Shakespeare. I want to share it. It's such a beautiful monologue. To be or not to be, that is the question. Whether it is nobler in the mind to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune, or to take arms against the sea of troubles, and by opposing, end them. To die. To sleep. No more. And by sleep we end the heartache and the thousand natural shocks that flesh is heir to. Tis a consummation devoutly to be wished. To die, to sleep, to sleep, perchance to dream, aye, there's the rub. For in that sleep of death what dreams may come. When we have shuffled off this mortal coil, must give us pause. There's the respect that makes calamity of so long life. For who would bear the whips and scorns of time, the oppressor's wrong, the proud man's contumely, the pangs of despised love, the law's delay, the insolence of office, and the spurns that patient merit of the unworthy takes 
when he himself might his quietest make with a bare bodkin. Who would fardels bear to grunt and sweat under a weary life, but that the dread of something after death, the undiscovered country from whose born no traveler returns, puzzles the will and makes us rather bear those ills we have than fly to others that we know not of. Thus, conscience does make cowards of us all, and thus the native hue of resolution is sicklied o'er with the pale cast of thought and enterprises of great pith and moment with this regard their currents turn awry and lose the name of action. Soft you now, the ferrophilia. I love it how this deep inner musing about his mortality, life and death, the pointlessness of life, and questioning the merits of suicide, taking his own life. And then he's interrupted by Ophelia, hearing Ophelia enter the space. And of course, if you, if you know Hamlet, if you've studied Hamlet, um, the irony is there too, because Ophelia, um, later in the story, takes her own life. Yes, very beautiful, tragic story. Only a master like Shakespeare can tell. There's so much that we can say just from this soliloquy. Shakespeare covers so many aspects of suicide. I'll start with that common expression that we hear. One of the oldest expressions that I know to describe the act of suicide, which is to take one's own life. She took her life. She took her own life. Many common expressions like this one are so common, so routine and repetitive and repeated over and over again that we don't give them much thought. So, what surprise when I finally addressed this phrase, this very common phrase, to take one's own life. I find it quite beautiful, poignant, for this reason that the suicide act, for obvious reasons, is often done in a state of desperation, when one feels a victim of life, that they've been betrayed by another, perhaps by God, a feeling of deep despair, often abandonment. We'll speak more about that in a moment. Such that, consciously or not, the very act of suicide is seen as, or felt as, the only way for that person to take their own life back. She took her own life. This story is very near and dear to my heart because my blood sister Paula took her own life when she was still 21 years old, a few months before turning 22. She would have been 22 in September of 1986, but it was June. I remember the exact date, June the 11th in 86. She was still 21 years of age when she decided to take her own life. I don't want this podcast to be about her per se, and at the same time, it's impossible not to speak of Paula's story 
and how it influenced me in my life um, inspired me in many ways because it's a very good example for one thing so her story is an excellent example of that very theme that theme of taking one's life back because in many ways I know that she felt that her life had been taken away from her. She was in the psychiatric hospital. It's the psychiatric ward of a large hospital in Toronto when she committed suicide. <clears throat> and it was her second stay in that psych ward. Um, horrible place. I went to visit her there, and it was very upsetting for me at the time. I was in my early 20s, like her, just um, about 18 months between us in age. And uh, going through my own personal hell on earth, if you will, dark night of the soul, I wasn't really aware of it at the time, because I was still using mind-altering substances, mostly marijuana, alcohol as well, um, to numb out to the, the pangs, trials and tribulations that I was going through. And so, as surprised as we all were, um, later in, in retrospect, I could see how this was her act of reclaiming her life, taking her own life back when all other avenues seem lost and there's nothing left but this. So why is it so such a taboo subject, so difficult for many to speak about? This is why I want to speak about it, <laughs> because it is taboo and I feel that we need to have more discussion about such topics because I feel suicide is part and parcel of the human condition in a very real sense I see suicide as our deepest fear <clears throat> our deepest shadow self meaning that if we go deep into our unconscious in the collective unconscious, if we're referring to Carl Jung and Joseph Campbell and their work and others, suicide is the deepest, even deeper than murder, our deepest fear, because it is really worse than murder in the sense that one is abandoning their own self. Yes, I see suicide as a form of self-betrayal in its shadow side, the negative aspect, or self-abandonment. And this urge to, to abandon oneself, or betray oneself, is, in my view, the, the very deepest, darkest aspect of the human condition, who we are, at least how we've been conditioned by our society in various ways. Certainly today it's hard to know exactly the statistics for the same reason I already mentioned that, that it is not openly talked about. Suicide still in, in 2020 is, is considered a taboo subject. So it's hard to get statistics on suicide. And I've heard that the, the numbers are, are up uh, in many parts of the world certainly in, in the West, North America, Western Europe. 
And more alarming are the numbers among young people, boys and girls, even pre-adolescent. That is a very disturbing, revealing statistic, regardless of how many the numbers actually are. It's, it's very disturbing to know that there are young people even thinking about it, considering suicide. It's a sad reflection on our society today. I'm reminded of an ad that I saw some years ago when I was still living in Toronto, Canada, from a suicide hotline. And the suicide hotline was revealing some of the questions that they receive via phone or text. And, and this one message was from a nine-year-old child who, who wrote, How do you do suicide? Nine-year-old boy, how do you do suicide? This question reminds me of a time in my life when I was thinking about it, even fantasizing about it. Um, and on that subject, I remember reading another statistic that a normal, healthy person, it's natural, in other words, um, certainly in the West, <laughs> as natural as we are, uh, it's natural and normal for someone to consider suicide as many as 10 times in their life, in their adult life. So if you're listening and, and you've only considered it maybe once or twice, well, <laughs> statistics say that you might think about it again. Now, do they mean like seriously consider? It's, it's a subjective call. But I can attest that I have considered suicide a number of occasions during my life. Um, even as a child... It was different then. One of my earliest memories as a child was to imagine what it would be like to die. So it wasn't, in that case, me imagining how I was going to end my life, as much as simply imagining what it would be like when my life ended, when I went into the void. I probably did that more than once as a child. And my nature is that, uh, being born Pisces, a lot of water, especially Pisces, which is underworld, um, combined with my Mayan Nawal, which is Akabal, I was really born for this type of uh, exploration with all the capacities, really, to, to be a healer and an artist. Because in my book, a true healer, a true artist, has to be open and willing to explore these darker recesses of the mind, the psyche. First for themselves, of course, and also if they are to be effective and helpful for others who are going through their own personal long dark night of the soul. So thoughts of suicide did come back to me um, again, probably after my sister's suicide. Certainly gave pause, to quote Shakespeare, must give us pause. If it's happened in your family, you know what I'm talking about. If somebody in your immediate family takes their own life, then of course it's going to make 
all the family members look at the fragility of life and perhaps question their own existence in different ways. Um, <clears throat> and one time that I was referring to some years ago now, when I was considering suicide and the various options, um, of course, the question arose, how? What is the best way to do it? What is the most efficient, surefire way with the least amount of pain? <laughs> and I did some research, and I found a website. And I love telling the story because that website turned out to be a great help for me, a great inspiration. Um, the person who built this website, also a, a man, perhaps same age or even younger than myself, he had contemplated suicide and came much closer. He went much further than, than I ever have towards making it real and failed for various reasons because I think he, if I remember correctly, he attempted more than once. And then he had spiritual awakening and you know, he got the support that he needed and so on. And then felt inspired to help others. And this is that whole idea that I just mentioned about the dark night of the soul. Having gone through it, then one naturally might want to help others who are in a similar place where we've been. Um, that's exactly what he did. And so he, he designed his website in that way to help people. That was the front line. Help people find the best way, the most effective and least painful way to end their life if they chose to do so. And he was very honest about that up front. He said, I, I don't really, I'm not really here to say do it. And if, if that's something that you feel you need to do, here is my research. He had some statistics, including, you know, which methods were the most effective, um, and also the ones that, are, that were from least to most painful, and so on. <laughs> it's very interesting. And then he, he set up the web page in a way that one could not really avoid seeing his story and other resources in terms of considering and reconsidering their options in terms of living, in terms of not doing it. What can I do? What can one do? terms of receiving counseling and reconsidering. And the nice thing too, there wasn't any strong religious overtones to this web page that I found. Sometimes they can be very strong. And I'm not saying that's necessarily bad either. But if one is not Christian or Jewish, what have you, then that might not be very effective. And speaking of the church, it's worth noting that organized religion has made suicide a taboo subject, such that one can feel tremendous shame and guilt just for thinking about it. Right? Because of this indoctrination. The church has brainwashed us into believing that it is not natural, it's not normal, it's sinful to even think about it, you know, let alone attempt to kill oneself. 
And the state went along with this long time ago, I imagine, in making it illegal, considered kind of on the same level as murder, is illegal to kill oneself, which is rather ironic, isn't it? And hilarious. <clears throat> um, and I'm not sure if one can be arrested for attempted suicide, so maybe it's not as bad and horrendous as you know the the murder laws, because um, that would be quite something, wouldn't it? If if somebody could be arrested for attempting suicide, <laughs> it gives a person again more incentive to make sure they do it right. Yeah. <laughs> Um, otherwise one could end up going to prison. However, it is considered, I believe, still in, in, in many countries, under many jurisdictions, it is considered a crime to commit suicide by church and state. Hence the, the shame and the guilt around it, even thinking about it. <laughs> So I'm very happy that there are a lot of suicide hotlines that are available in major cities in North America, I'm sure in, in Europe and other parts of the world. Because that's often the, the, the most important thing. The first line of defense, of helping, is being able to talk to someone about it. Counseling. And perhaps one of the reasons why the rates are increasing in certain age groups, and maybe more so with, with young women, because uh, the statistics usually say that, that men and young men are more apt to commit suicide than women are. So the counseling is, is really key, is the front line. Uh, and this is why, as a counselor and therapist, I feel it is incumbent, it, was, it is essential to speak about this in different ways with clients, with my students, to find healthy, even humorous ways to look at it. And speaking of humor, <laughs> one of the best examples of that for me is one of my all-time favorite films, Groundhog Day with Bill Murray. If you haven't seen it, or even if you have, you might want to go see that <laughs> again. Download Groundhog Day with Bill Murray. Beautiful story. It's worth just mentioning that because some people may not think about the suicide subplot to Groundhog Day when that title is mentioned. For me, it is is a key part of that story, right? Because Bill Murray's character is stuck in this endless loop. He keeps waking up on the same morning in the same bed and breakfast in this tiny, small in this small town, Pennsylvania, hearing that same song by Sonny and Cher. <laughs> baby, I've got you, baby. <laughs> And so it's inevitable, really, that he comes to a point having to repeat that same day over and over again. He comes to a point where he doesn't see any point in <laughs> continuing and decides to kill himself. <laughs> and I couldn't help laughing, especially when he he keeps trying to kill himself over and over again and the way he different ways that he attempts to end his life only to wake up the next morning to Sonny and Cher again <laughs> and I remember one time because I've seen the movie several times um I remember one of those aha moments 
when I was looking at that specific theme in Groundhog Day, and I realized that there's no way one can tell watching this movie how many times he woke up in that bed and breakfast. It could be a hundred, it could be a thousand, even a million times, right? This is the nonlinear aspect. The shamanic aspect, which, you know, if, if we're going deep into the suicide story, yeah, we have to look at this nonlinear viewpoint, and for me, anyway. We don't know if he woke up a thousand times. We don't know how many times he attempted suicide, right? Because the, the story, the film is showing us scenes, moments from those days. However, it is not linear, per se. We don't know. Well, we, we do know that it's jumping about because we can see in the story itself that he is learning how to play the piano. He's taking piano lessons. He's learning how to master the instrument. So we know that the story is jumping scenes, yeah, jumping days, showing us glimpses of his life caught in this endless loop. WGTN Guatemala. Today's podcast is brought to you by the School of Nod, International School of Kundalini Yoga, Nod Yoga, Psychodrama, and more. Founded by the dynamic soulmate duo Hariram and Satkirtan, the School of Nod offers unique and transformative online programs. Satkirtan and Hariram have between them 30 years experience leading classes, workshops, kirtan, and retreats. For more information, go to www.schoolofnod.com. And now, back to the podcast. WGTN Guatemala. From the shamanic perspective, suicide can take different shape and significance. We may even start to see that we have been in a semi-suicidal mode for a good chunk of our life, not even aware that we've been sabotaging our life in different ways, that we've been doing subtle things to, to hasten our death and or to diminish the life experience, to hide or purposely remove ourselves from existence to abandon our life. As I said in the beginning, suicide for me is, is all about self-abandonment, self-betrayal. What are we betraying? What are we abandoning? We are betraying our own life, our, our mission, our purpose, our sole purpose. We are abandoning our soul. Hmm? This is again where, where religion can get very distorted in how it deals with suicide and the suicide urge. Because it is very much about the soul. And the long, what we call the long dark night of the soul. This is a, a shamanic term that I like to use to describe the human condition. In my experience, in my own life and, and mentoring others over several decades now, the human condition is that we are born into this to some degree, or we, we come into it 
perhaps during our adolescence, I mentioned a lot of young people considering even attempting suicide. There's a clear sign right there. Often at that age, we're not aware. So the first stage, really, of the long, dark night of the soul, and healing that, is becoming aware of it, that we're actually in it. Sometimes it feels like we've, we've descended into it suddenly. Something has catapulted us into this dark night of the soul, which we can also call depression, like chronic depression. You know, clinical depression. <clears throat> Other symptoms, of course, could include anxiety, deep anxiety, perhaps paranoia, fibromyalgia, chronic pain, fatigue, insomnia. Lots of symptoms can arise. And that first awareness of the long dark night of the soul can be quite startling, it could be very intense. Even though we may have already been in it, there, something has preceded that awareness to bring us to this point. So awareness is always the first step. It doesn't make it easy, always. It doesn't solve the problem. Sometimes it can seemingly make it worse. It's like, holy shit, <laughs> I'm in a lot of trouble. Yeah? I know in my own experience with the dark night of the soul, um, there were a lot of factors that preceded my conscious awareness of that and the, the depth of despair that grew with that awareness. It's interesting. And it was after my days of being in addictive behaviors, like using marijuana and other substances. After that had finished, it was, it was after my embarking on a healing journey vis-a-vis -vis yoga and my shiatsu training and becoming a yoga teacher. It was after all of these things that the dark night of the soul became vividly apparent and overwhelming, such that my whole life kind of collapsed. You know? So it's, it's fascinating from that point of view that the awareness can, can, in a sense, bring us deeper into that darkness before we can come out. And this inspired, going through that whole experience, inspired a lot of poetry, which I might share um, in, a, in a later episode of the podcast. This might have to be another series as well, because <laughs> I could go on and on about suicide and the, the long dark night of the soul. Suffice to say right now, that it was a profound, the most profound journey of my life, really, in many ways. Especially that first, that first round, because I did return to it. I hate to say it, and it, I did. Because coming out of it was also one of the most miraculous times of my life. I had an awakening, I had some experiences still to this day, I'm talking about in uh, 1996 now, so like 24 years ago, when I came out of that long dark night of the soul, I had experiences that were still to this day some of the most miraculous moments of my life. Um, <clears throat> some of which, in fact, there was one profound one that involved Paula. I, I already mentioned my sisterhood who had passed away ten years earlier, coming to me in a moment of stillness when I was alone, still in a deep and vulnerable place, 
feeling her presence and having visions, which to this day is um, very rare and awe-inspiring. So coming through that inspired um, a lot of poetry, as I mentioned, and I will share some of that in a later episode. I have to call this a part one of a series. Maybe this will be a trilogy as well. Um, because I would like to also invite others, perhaps some, some of my own clients and students, to speak about the, the long dark night of the soul. You can call it LDNS for short. Um, and what I call conscious suicide, as, which is, for me, it's the third and final part of the holy trinity of ceremonies. In the shamanic initiation, if you will. There is a fourth ceremony that I discovered through working with some clients very deeply that comes after the Holy Trinity. And this Holy Trinity is profound and essential for me, I find in my own life, and, and really helping people to, to transform their pain story. coming back to what I said earlier about suicide, the suicide urge, which is self-abandonment being the deepest fear in the human psyche. If I'm right, then until we address that deepest fear and transform it somehow, we will never know true freedom, true bliss in this life. And this might be a very important reason why the mystics say that we have to reincarnate thousands, even millions of times before we get it right. This is very deep work indeed. It is the deepest shadow work. You know, Carl Jung spoke about the cave as did Plato. He, he read Plato, um, I'm sure, as did Joseph Campbell. Plato spoke about the cave, you know, and the shadows, the shadows on the wall of the cave, how we deceive ourselves. Makes me think of the, the Shakespeare Hamlet soliloquy, you know, all the ways that we can deceive ourselves and that fear of the unknown that Hamlet spoke about. That we would rather stay in our this familiar place, however painful, than to go outside of that comfort zone and to experience the unknown. And this is possibly I'm quite sure the reason why so, so many of us are attracted to shamanic work with or without plant medicines, medicines like ayahuasca. I've partaken in a number of ayahuasca ceremonies over a period of more than 10 years. The last time was you know, in 2012, so eight years ago. Um, as with other plant medicines, it can feel like a suicide ceremony. It can be just like that. We don't know, like Hamlet was saying, we don't know if we're going to come back. We don't know what's on the other side. So this is why, again, why I came to this point in my own work as a, as a shaman, as a mentor, to realize that I have to, in some way, address this with my clients, with my students, to, to at least bring them towards that awareness and to give them the means to, to look at their own shadow and to possibly 
go all the way to this final ceremony, if you will, that, that I would call the conscious suicide, which of course is a rebirthing ceremony. It is not a physical suicide. That's the tricky part, how to make it real. We spoke about psychodrama in another series on this podcast, and we cannot separate entirely the suicide theme from the psychodrama. Not here, the school of not. So the first thing then in addressing suicide to prepare for this advanced work, looking at our deepest fear, this fear of self-abandonment, self-betrayal, is to get comfortable with the shadow, to get comfortable with the cave, and these other archetypes, archetypal situations, places, um, entities, if you will, uh, characters from, from that story from our subconscious and to get comfortable enough that we can look at these shadows on the wall without abandoning ourselves, without aborting the mission. And there are ways to do that. Some mystics will say that until one awakens from their pain story, from this long dark night of the soul, because a long, we, we say long dark night of the soul because it can seem very long. It can feel endless. Uh, until a person wakes, awakens from that LDNS, they haven't really lived. Their whole life then can be wasted. Sometimes a person comes to a moment of clarity, self-realization, close to their own death, on their deathbed. Then it's usually too late, and then they have to come back. So they fall into slumber, and they leave. And thus we have all these methods. And this brings us also to Kundalini Yoga and the shamanic roots of Kundalini Yoga. Shavasana, for example, we could call the death pose, which is a total let go. Each time we practice yoga, we have an opportunity to practice a type of conscious suicide. After a rigorous, sometimes very rigorous, asana, breath work, we are guided to, to die, to lie down, sometimes cover ourselves. I like to have a, a light blanket that sometimes I can put right over the person's head, like a shroud, to symbolize that death experience. Mm -hmm so that we can be reborn again. When we come back, when we go through that death experience that the Tibetans wrote volumes about in the, the book of death and dying, so that we can prepare for that final meditation that we call death. Otherwise, samsara, we, we return again and again and again. So we could say that the first obstacle is the fear of dying, confronting fear, fear of death, fear of self-abandonment, betrayal. Yeah, we often look outside of ourselves, these themes, betrayal, fearing that, being betrayed by our loved ones or community, so on. And forgetting that self-betrayal is really the ultimate betrayal. Because when one betrays themselves, then it's virtually impossible for any outside source to reconcile that, to, to heal that, until 
one has come to a place of <clears throat> self-acceptance, self-love. That's why I say suicide is self-abandonment, first and foremost. One can pull away, because I did this, this is my own experience, pull away from society, from a community, or closest family, so much that no one can touch you. Even when there are people around that would be glad to help and offer love, we can pull ourselves away, we can isolate ourselves so much that there's no chance, there's no hope for any outside help to come in. I'm reminded of a beautiful scene in another film called I Am Sam with brilliant Sean Penn. Perhaps you've seen it. Put that one on your list too. Michelle Pfeiffer played his lawyer so brilli brilliantly. She comes to, to see him after he's abandoned everything. He's lost his the custody of his daughter. He's lost his job. His whole life is in total freefall and he's literally enclosed himself inside the room of the apartment he's living. He's built like a physical wall around him, almost impenetrable. Beautiful story, and this is what we do. We, we build walls. Um, some people from on the outside, even on the surface, seem to be in control. They've got some degree of uh, adaptability, of even success in life, respect from the community and so on. And yet inside they may have many walls, layers, not truly happy. Such is the predicament, such is the human condition. It's all or nothing. <laughs> Fortunately, some of us are more predisposed to, to dealing with these trials and tribulations, the things that Hamlet spoke about. Some are more predisposed to, to dealing with these than others. The others, of course, are the ones that are more on the margins, the ones that end up on the streets, sometimes living on the streets, and or going in and out of halfway houses, other institutions, perhaps getting in trouble with the law, social services. Again, for me, this is a, a mark of a, a healthy society versus an, an unhealthy society where the, the marginalized are taken care of or not. How well are we taking care of the marginalized? How many homeless do we have in our midst? And how are we treating the homeless? Are they, being, are they receiving proper care, proper shelter and nourishment? If they're not, for me this is a, a very sad reflection of that society. Because we're all one, we're all connected. If we're not taking care of the marginal, more sensitive ones, because often it's like that, like the canaries in the coal mine, then we're not very mature, advanced society, then, are we? I'll try and end this part of the series on, on an up note. <laughs> I spoke about fear. I like to see fear as an acronym. F-E-A-R. There's two acronyms that I like to use a lot. The first one is feel everything and rise. A slight variation on that one can be feel everything and relax. 
The second acronym for fear, which is actually the first one that I used in love, is false evidence appearing real. Fear is false evidence appearing real. And this again points to the dilemma. When we're caught, we feel stuck in that long, dark night of the soul. Perhaps we're feeling suicidal, like there's no point. I can't go on. This existence makes no sense. I don't have any energy. Nobody loves me. I don't love myself. All kinds of negative thoughts can come up and they can be overwhelming, you know? The domino effect, one negative thought activating another and another, you know? It's all false evidence appearing real. Right? But those negative thoughts, they repeat so much that, that we, be, we begin to see them as real, as our reality. Mm -hmm. Such is the power of the mind. So, wrapping up this first segment of the suicide series, <laughs> the entry point could be seen as confronting death itself. Is it real? Is it painful? What's it like? If we have not experienced a near-death experience in our own life, there are many accounts from others, many books, stories that we can read and share the other side, what it looks like, what it feels like. One of the stories I love from a, a channeler many years ago now, who was asked to explain death, how to describe it. And the entity that she was channeling responded in this way. Emmanuel said, Death is like taking off a very tight shoe. Period. I love that definition. It has always stayed with me. I've shared that many times. Death is like removing a very tight shoe. And when we come to realize this in a deeper way, death is, is like removing a very tight shoe. Nothing more really than some of that burden, some of that fear can go away least be diminished. And then there's space, there's possibility to go deeper into the suicide story, other subconscious fears that we have around death and, and self-abandonment. The good news is it can be a very fascinating and even joyous ride. This has been my experience in my own life and also, again, counseling many others. There is laughter, there's tears, I won't deny that. There are tears, can be fits of rage, the whole spectrum. And it is completely worth it. So let's call this our introduction to suicide. And we will come back with a second installment at a later date. So please stay tuned. If you like what you hear, feel free to share this and, and or send us some feedback, comments, questions. If you want to appear on one of our programs speaking about suicide or other topics that we are addressing, again, send us a message. Be happy to oblige. Thank you so much. Satnam, blessed be. Until next time, this is Hariram, signing out.
Episode and now obvious the first installment in this suicide series. I'm imagining two more installments. There's just too much to speak about in one episode. So please stay tuned for part two of the suicide series. We'll dive a little deeper into suicide from various perspectives, including how this important theme comes up in storytelling, in literature, cinema. One of my favorite films that I'll speak about in the next episode is Wings of Desire, brilliant German film by Wim Wenders, exquisite film. So stay tuned. We'll also touch on some other stories and more. Thank you for tuning in. Until next time, Satnam, blessed be, Wahiguru. We thank you for tuning in. Please make sure to subscribe so as not to miss a single episode. We depend on you, our listeners, to build and expand our audience, to share the nod. So, if you like what you hear, Please do not hesitate to share with your friends, family, and community. Satnam.